is in the studio with Michael Card. My name is Wayne Shepherd. Michael, you have such just great friends. Yes. So many of them around the world. And 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 uh, they've been giving support for a long time, for almost really 40 years now. So right, uh, right. I, I do not take those folks for granted. It's fun to do the podcast with you and then to see the response yeah. from listeners, which we try to make as easy as possible for you to reach us. Of course, we have uh, Facebook now available to us. We have email, but just remember michaelcard.com yeah. where you can access all of this. There's all kinds of content on the on the website. Yeah. Here's a comment from a listener named Blair says, God's Spirit is obviously at work through the speaking and the hearing of the message in this podcast, which allows listeners to share with those who originally experienced the Lord's presence in a special way, uh, would that everyone could hear this and know the Lord's great love. Mm. Yeah, Blair and I are friends on Facebook, so I appreciate appreciate that. All right. Thank you for that comment. And uh, also on the website that we mentioned, michaelcard.com, there's information about the conferences that Michael does, as well as his concert ministry. So go to michaelcard.com. Now, today... In just a few minutes, we're going to hear from one of those conferences. Yeah, uh, this is a conference a few years back on lament, and uh, basically take the, the the biblical concept of lament and we look at it through the lives of Job, David, Jeremiah, and Jesus. And uh, uh, today's segment is is uh, the intro- introduction to the David section. Mm-hmm. And if you go back in the archive, you can hear Job. Sure. And the future will deal with Jeremiah and Jesus lament. That's, right. That's coming up. But to set this up, uh, there's a particular song that we're thinking about that fits just beautifully into this theme of lament, and I'm sure you had that in mind when you wrote the song. Well, actually, I didn't. I no? don't think I under uh, the the song was written a long time ago, just right out of college. And uh, I didn't realize it, it was that old. Yeah, well, it, it's one of major the major themes of Bill Lane's uh, Mark commentary. Uh, Eramos Tapas is in the wilder is the wilderness in in Mark. And uh, so that's that's where it started. It's 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 really it's it's I want to say fun. I don't think fun's the <laughs> word, but it's meaningful to to uh, see a theme and then years later uh, learn something new and understand. Oh oh, that was in the wilderness. So yeah. uh, the wilderness is where lament happens. Yeah. So as an introduction to Michael's teaching on lament that we're going to hear in just a moment, here's his song in the wilderness. In the wilderness. In the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. But he gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. In the wilderness we wander, in the wilderness we weep. In the wasteland of our wanting, where the darkness seems so deep, we search for the beginning, for an exodus to home, and find that those who follow him must often walk alone. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. He gives grace sufficient to survive any test And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness In the wilderness we're wondering for a way to understand But in the wilderness there's not a way For the ways become a man And the man's become our exodus The way to holy ground And waiting in the wilderness Is the best way to be found In the wilderness In the wilderness He calls his sons and daughters To the wilderness He gives grace sufficient To survive any test And that's the painful purpose Of the wilderness And that's the painful promise of the wilderness. So uh, all of our categories come back to us in David. Uh, He's very much a person of the wilderness. He was born in the wilderness. He grew up in the wilderness. But his, his, uh, his life, his life is sort of a wilderness of enemies. Goliath, how about that, right? The first person who, whose authority ever comes under Saul is a you know complete nut. I mean, it's a good day when he doesn't throw the spear at me. You know that sort of thing. 
Um, and I was going to read Psalm 59. I'm not going to take the time to do it. But Psalm 59 is a very interesting psalm. He's reading it as he's looking out the enemy at the window, seeing the assassins that, that Saul has sent to kill him. So he looks out the window and sees him coming and writes a song. So his, his life is sort of this uh, wilderness uh, life. His kingship was a wilderness kingship. You know, we glorify, you know, David and Jesus is the son of David and his, his, his throne is founded on Hesed and all that kind of stuff. But the details of his kingship are really, it was a wilderness. His life was a wilderness of personal sin, the whole Bathsheba thing. Uh, it was a wilderness of death. He lived to see the death of everyone he ever loved. I mean, his closest friend, Jonathan, gets killed. His life was a, a, a wilderness of disease. David had some sort of disease, and we don't know what it was. But he writes what, in a category what we call the disease laments. Uh, Psalm 22 is one of them. Psalm 13, I think, is one of them. He describes this disease. You know, we, it's all, we see it in terms of the cross. He's describing Jesus on the cross. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and all that stuff. Well, he's describing it's some sort of disease that he has. And the worst suffering, and this comes through the laments, the worst part of the suffering is all of his friends are standing around him saying, you must have done something to deserve this. It's just like Job. He has experience like Job. So you read those disease laments and, and, uh, and you see that. Presence. David is a person who had a unique experience of the presence of God. I think because he grew up in the wilderness and he grew up in this sort of vacuum of friendship, I think he had this longing for relationship. He's always, I think that's where the Bathsheba thing went sideways. You know, he's just, this guy's wounded. He's, his cup is empty. And I think that's one thing, though, that draws him to have this, this unique relationship that he has with God. In Psalm 51, which he, he writes as the little boy is dying uh, that he and Bathsheba had. One of the things he says is, please don't cast me from your presence. In Psalm 30, 139, he's, he, he celebrates, I can't go anyplace you know, where, where your presence isn't. Okay, Hesed. David is probably in the historical books the exemplar of, of, uh, of the term Hesed. Uh, his throne is, is founded on Hesed, and uh, he has relationships. The relationship with Jonathan is described as a, as a relationship of, of uh, Hesed. I think he's, apart from Jesus, he's the, one of the people who's really the focus of, of, uh, of Hesed. If you think about his friendship with, with Jonathan, uh, my definition, one of my definitions of Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's Hesed. Well, that's what Jonathan showed to David. Jonathan should have been king. He was Saul's son, right? But, but Jonathan supports David as his friend. After David came back from killing Goliath, Jonathan really, you know, was drawn to David, and they, they became very, uh, very close friends. Another thing that I find interesting about all of these exemplars of lament is that they, uh, like Jeremiah, as far as we know, he only had one friend, and that was Baruch. As far as we know, David really only had one friend, and that was Jonathan. And I would suggest to you that Jesus really only had one friend, and that was Peter. So these, these people are kind of lonely. And uh, this will, they live oh, it's kind of a wilderness life. So he grows up in a wilderness. It gave him a hunger uh, for, for a relationship, which Jonathan showed to him. Um, and after Jonathan dies, part of Hesed is also that there's this reciprocity that's connected with it. And in 2 Samuel 9.1, Jonathan dies, and David says, is there anyone in Jonathan's family that I can show Hesed to? And that's where Mephibosheth comes in, the little kid with the, the bad feet. Let me look at some of the laments of David's that aren't in the Psalter, because there's lots of laments that are in the historical books. Let me read to you uh, the lament that he writes for uh, Saul and, and Jonathan. Again, he is lamenting his, his uh, worst enemy, who is Saul, and at the same time, he's lamenting his best friend, who is Jonathan, who both died on a battle on Mount Goboa. They were crucified. They took the bodies, they cut their heads off, and they, they crucified them up against the walls, or on the walls of the city. And I think as, as David's writing this lament, he's trying not to think about that. So this is a lament that's not in the Psalter of David. 
David sang the following lament for Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the Judahites be taught the song of the bow. So that's, he's got a title for this song. It is written in the book of Jashir. There, there are several books that are referred to that we don't have anymore. There's a book of laments that's, that Jeremiah wrote that we don't have anymore. It's called the book of dirges. So that's gone. And this book of Jashir, apparently it's gone. But um, So here, here's uh, David's lament. This begins in verse 19. The splendor of Israel lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Do not tell it in Gath. Don't announce it in the marketplaces of Ashkelon, where the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, and the daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. So we're not, we're not going to celebrate this. Mountains of Gilboa, let no dew or rain be on you, or fields or offerings. Uh, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul no longer anointed with oil. Jonathan's bow never retreated, Saul's sword never returned unstained from the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty. So they're mighty warriors, and they died together. Jonathan and Saul, loved and delightful, they were not parted in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with gold ornaments. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. So that's a lament that's outside of... Um, there's another one in Second Samuel 3. I don't think I'm going to take the time to, to read it, but Second uh, Samuel three seventeen through 34 is a lament that he writes for, for Abner who was a general who, who died you know, before his time. I want to read you his, his lament for uh, Absalom, his son, who died. And I want you to note, there is no lament like this in the Bible anywhere. Uh, it's uh, 2 Samuel 18.33. And Absalom was one of the really sad things about David's life. I mean, he, he came back to Jerusalem and uh, they never were really reconciled. Uh, David's life is so is so sad. So 2 Samuel 18.33 The king was deeply moved when he heard that uh, Absalom had died and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried. Okay, here's, listen to this. My son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I died instead of you, Absalom. My son, my son. Now that's a different kind of lament, isn't it? No parallelism, it's not pretty. He is just, his heart is absolutely broken. So David, to me, is a very sad, very sad person. If anyone seemed to have something to offer God, it was David. He was successful in battle, a real winner. He had established his own kingdom. He was a gifted musician and lyricist. He was able most of the time to access the deeper recesses of his soul and find there the words and images that you and I are still using to communicate with God all these centuries later. David simply had it all, but he wanted more. When he saw Uriah's wife Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, completing the process of purification from her menstrual uncleanness, David decided he must have her for himself. In the process, he dragged both Bathsheba and himself down into a place infinitely more unclean. Upon discovering that his sexual sin had resulted in Bathsheba becoming pregnant, David sought to cover up the whole business by means of an elaborate deception which ended up in the death of Uriah. Lust, rape, treachery, and finally murder. He's like, he commits every sin you commit at one time. Uh, when his deception of Bathsheba's noble Hittite husband failed, Uriah was a Hittite. They were called the yellow-skinned ones, and they were famous for being warriors. Okay? Um, David committed what is perhaps the most cold-blooded act of the whole sordid story. He gave Uriah a dispatch to deliver to Joab, his commanding officer, a letter containing the plot for his own destruction. Pretty cold. No Hollywood writer could conceive of a more treacherous story 
nor a more despicable character than David, the Lord's beloved. Despite his creative genius, David possessed a fundamental, sightless stupidity we all share in common. The foolishness of trying to hide something from someone who is omniscient. I mean, that's just dumb. David's willful blindness could only be healed by the painful opening of his eyes. That task was given to Nathan. The simple parable of the poor man and his lamb was all it took to bait the hook. David bit hard, but hardly struggled once he knew he'd been caught. I've sinned against the Lord, he whispered in 2 Samuel 12, 13. But before David had time to take a breath, Nathan pronounced that he was forgiven. He would not experience the death his sin deserved, but the innocent, nameless child, he didn't live long enough to get a name. It's so sad. Uh, The nameless child that was the result of David's adultery eventually would. I believe it may very well have been during the seven days David pleaded with God to spare the little boy's life that he wrote Psalm 51, his greatest lament of contrition. As he pleaded for God to wash, cleanse, create a clean heart in him, I wonder just where the little boy was in his imagination. I wonder if he begged to be forgiven, having already been told by Nathan that he was, in hopes that some of that forgiveness would overflow and find its way to the unnamed weak old son. In verse 16, David's lament takes a turn. I wonder if it coincides with his discovery that the innocent newborn had finally died. That's in 2 Samuel 12, 18. Something breaks deep inside his soul, or perhaps something finally opens. His eyes are perhaps a door that had been closed. In that moment, David realizes two important facts about his condition before God. First, he has forfeited everything and has nothing left to give. Second, all he has left is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. But that's all God ever wanted. Yeah, all he's got left is all God ever wanted. And so the musician who in his time had lifted up the most moving, glorious, and worshipful songs of praise the world has ever heard lifts up the bloody, fragmented pieces of what used to be his heart. He takes a deep breath, uh, exhaling the guilt and the burden of his sin, and breathes in the spirit he had begged that God would never take from him. The greatest worshiper of all time enacts the most profound moment of worship alone and in tears. In his complete brokenness, he trusts and hopes and believes that this sacrifice of contrition and brokenness will be acceptable. What about you? Okay, so let's look at Psalm 51. Uh, for the choir director of Psalm of David, when, he, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he'd gone to Bathsheba. So we have the context of this. We don't know if it's, this is while the baby's dying. I think he wrote it while the baby's dying. Because that passage in 2 Samuel, he's writhing on the floor, he can't eat, he can't sleep. And they think he's lost his mind. I think that's when he wrote this. And you know the story. Uh, they, he hears them whispering in the, in the hall. And J- David sticks his head out the door and says, has the child died? And they say, yes, master, he's died. And then David washes his face, eats supper, and goes to the temple. And they're, they think he really has gone crazy. And someone asks him, you know, kind of what's, what, what's up? And David says, well, I'll go to him, but he won't return to me. He has this disturbing clarity. And I think that, that statement comes from the clarity he receives from Psalm 51. Let's see what happens. Be gracious to me, God, according to your hesed. According to your abundant compassion. So hesed and abundant compassion are in parallel. And hesed does this. Hesed draws other words to itself to try to explain how much it means. This is CSB. Sorry if this bothers you. This is a, the Christian Standard Bible. And I, I was on the team that translated this, so is, they gave me a free copy. So, so a, a, give, forgive me according to your hesed. So what does that mean? That means David knows he's got no basis for asking for anything. He has, I mean, every sin you can commit, he's committed. And the only reason for God to be forgiving is that God is a God of Hesed. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing 
gives me everything. See, David knows that. He knows about Hesed. Okay? He knows about Hesed. So forgive me according to that, um, which is how Jesus forgives us. Jesus forgives us according to Hesed. While we were still sinners, he died for us because he's a God of Hesed. He's, you know, uh, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that always kind of bothers me. I thought, well, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? You know, against you and you alone, I've sinned. Ah, what about the baby? What about all your people and your, you know, who trust you in your kingdom? But I read a commentary that said, really, all sin is sin before God. I don't know if that's a good enough answer, but that's some words that I'll throw at that. It still bothers me. So he's, he's aware that his sin has really been against this holy God. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty, guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. The rabbis thought that a baby could actually sin in the womb. You know, this question they asked Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents? He's born blind. That's a very uh, common discussion in uh, Judaism. So, you know, I started out sinful. I've always been this way. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Parallel. Wash me, and I will be whiter whiter than snow. And again, the onus is on God. You purify me with hyssop. You wash me. I have completely messed up everything. You know, there's nothing I can do but depend on the fact that you love me and you're going to forgive me because of who you are. Okay, you, pur- you purify me. You wash me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins, which is interesting because you, know, you, you don't want God to turn his face away from you. But he says, turn your face away from my sin. Uh, and blot out all my guilt. Here's more. God, you create a clean heart for me. You renew a... um, I'm I'm inserting those. They're not in the text. You renew a steadfast spirit within me. So you're going to have to do this. I'm falling completely on you. I can't do anything else. Everything I've done is wrong. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Those are parallel. Restore the joy of your salvation to me, and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. I think David has this sort of, even now, he says this youthful enthusiasm at the end of a lot of his, his laments. He, he gives all these promises about all the things he'll do if God will, do, if, if God will come through for him. I'll teach sinners your ways. You know, you'll do this for me. I feel this sort of enthusiasm. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. Who's that? That's Uriah. Because right, the way, you know the way this world works. Uriah's relatives, they all get together. You don't have policemen. You, know, you don't have FBI. You have, you, know, you have the avenger of blood. And you, you remember the story. Uriah was this wonderfully noble guy. And, and David says, you know, hey, come back from the battle. Why don't you go see your wife? You know, so he's going to cover up so they think that the baby's Uriah's. Uriah's too noble for that. He's not going to. He's not going to. You know, go sleep with his wife while all of his friends are on the battlefield. That's not Uriah's noble, and David is the extreme opposite of noble. So save me from blood guilt, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice, or I would give it. Now that is huge. Hosea six six. I desire chesed and not sacrifice. God would rather you love someone well than make a sacrifice to him. Yeah, you do not want sacrifice or I would give it. Give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrificing pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. All David has left is all God ever wanted in the first place. And it's the same with us. It's all he wants from you. Just wants your heart. Don't you know there's a place in the middle of your heart An empty place that only Christ can fill And if you bow your knee to Jesus and claim Him as your own Don't you 
you doubt for a minute that he will? Don't you know that he loves you? Don't you know that he cares? Don't you know that he died to save your soul? And don't you doubt for a minute that he will? You're at a time in your life when you're really in between With people tugging you from every side And the pain of growing up is almost more than you can bear And all you want to do is run and hide But don't you see that now's the time when you really need him most He's waiting and he's calling to you still He only wants to love you and hold you in his arms And don't you doubt for a minute that he will Don't you know that he loves you Don't you know that he cares Don't you know that he died to save your soul don't you doubt for a minute that he will Don't you know that he loves you Don't you know that he cares Don't you know that he died to save your soul And don't you doubt for a minute that he will I mean, that's another one of those songs that's a really old college song that uh, the, the, the more I play it, the more I realize uh, what it's all about. Yeah, we're learning a lot about you here today, Michael. We're just at the halfway point. There's more ahead. We've made accessing this program as easy as possible. The program audio is updated each week on our website, and we keep several sessions available with all the program details for you to follow up. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and now Spotify. You can find it by searching Michael Card or get the links at michaelcard.com. Now coming up, our own producer, Joe Carlson, will move from the control room to the studio and fill us in on his work as a chaplain at Cook County Jail. That's coming up in just a moment when we return right here in the studio with Michael Card. Next week, join us for a full classic hour in the studio with Michael Card. We'll start with Dr. John Piper, who came to the Mole End studio for a discussion about the power of God's Word. In the second half, Larry Warren of African Leadership tells how we can all be part of fulfilling Christ's great commission. And we wrap up the hour by learning from music therapist Dr. DeForia Lane about the way music brings comfort and relief to patients. Watch for the post and share the podcast link. Get subscription details at michaelcard.com. Welcome back into the studio with Michael Card. We didn't have to look far to find our next guest, did we? No, not at all. He's just right. He was just right there on the other side of <laughs> the window. He's usually on the other side of the glass yes. from us, but we're going to bring Joe into the studio to talk with us in a moment. Yep. It's a pretty amazing story of what God's been doing in his life. So. Yeah, and for over four years. Yeah. So you'll meet Joe Carlson coming up here on the program in a moment. How about uh, singing for us again, Things We Leave Behind? I remember you wrote this song with Scott Rowley, right? Right, long time ago. This is a, this is an older song, too. And uh, I wish I could remember, you know, what the context of it was. But Scott and I were on the road together for years and years. And and uh, and I would start a song, and, and I would always look for his youthful enthusiasm to finish it. And this is one of those songs that he finished. It's Simon, so foolish and wise Proudly he's tending his nets Then Jesus calls and the boats drift away And all that he owns he forgets But more than the nets he abandoned that day He found that his pride was soon drifting away And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things 
that we leave behind And Matthew was mindful of taking the tax And pressing the people to pay But hearing the call, he responded in faith And followed the light and the way So puzzled he found That the greed in his heart Was no longer around And it's hard to imagine The freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Every heart needs to be set free From possessions that hold it so tight Cause freedom's not found In the things that we own the power to do what is right With Jesus our only possession Then giving becomes our delight And we can't imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Show love for the world in our lives By worshipping goods we possess But Jesus said, lay all your treasures aside And love God above all the rest Cause when we say no to the things of the world We open our hearts to the love of the Lord And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind Oh, and it's hard to imagine The freedom we find From the things that we leave behind That song talks about uh, an exchange that happens uh, whenever you uh, go into ministry, the the idea being that you 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 let go of things and you leave things behind, but inevitably, I think if it's God's will that you be there, that you you receive more than you let go of, hmm. and um, that that to me is a perfect way to introduce the this next section. We're going to talk to our own uh, Joe Carlson, who not only engineers this program, but he puts all the pieces together. He edits. Uh, yeah. And he envisions all the he themes. Mixes, yeah, yeah, he does the whole The mysterious thing. Joe Carlson. Well, Wayne and I are basically here for our looks <laughs> yeah, because we look so yeah, good. Yeah, we're the eye candy. <laughs> but but what I want to hear, I want to hear Joe, I wanted to have Joe on to talk about uh, a, a fairly recent calling that's come into his life uh, to to work in Chicago in 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 the prison system as a chaplain, and I want my first question to you, Joe, is: Have you experienced that exchange where there were things that le- you let go of, and then um, I want to say repaid, but there are things that you received in the process of doing ministry? What has that been like for you? Oh, well, what started as just something that I was doing in the city because I was working at the Moody Bible Institute, working in the radio department. Right. I would take the train and then I would see people on the street and I would just like walk past them. Next right. thing you know, I start talking to them. Next thing you know, you start getting involved with in them. And then um, you start realizing that these are people. Mm-hmm. They're not just problems sitting on the street. And I think the Lord was using lots of different things in the programs that I was working on at Moody. We were working with the One Cry Prayer Summit. Mm-hmm. We're asking God to do awakening in people's hearts. And, and lo and behold, that started happening. It started happening with me. I started seeing people <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then we started praying about the violence in the city. Yeah. With uh, Doc Feuder and other people uh, around with Moody. And um, next thing you know, um, the opportunity to start working at Cook County Jail. How, how did that happen? I mean, did someone just, just walk up to you cold and say, hey, you want to come be a chaplain? What, yeah. What, what, where did that come from? Well, people that I knew on the street would get arrested, and I wouldn't no. know what to do. And then I was told, uh, contact a ministry called Chicago Land Prison Outreach, uh-huh. and uh, I started asking them, what should I do? And the next thing you know, they call up and says, you know, uh, we'd like you to be a part of what we're doing on the wow. inside. 
wow, I never heard that part. You're, you're still, still working at Moody full-time at full this time. Full-time. Yeah. But I, it's not that you go, I want to work in jail. It was, we're praying about awakening. We're praying about the violence. We're praying about people's need in the city. And I have a relationship with this person who's just coming out of jail. Or, or who, going in, actually. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, and so then the Lord creates the opportunity. I call it the line of risk. Uh-huh. What do you do with that line of risk? Hmm. Um, you can either ignore it, you can run from it, or you say, Jesus, by your grace, I want to walk across that line of risk. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what that song is about? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking things that. Behind. Yeah. So um, I start working at Cook County Jail in the medical wing, and um, I was trained by uh, the director of uh, Chicagoland Prison. I was uh, Corey Buchanan. And after a couple of weeks, he goes, I think you have this. Mm-hmm. You can do this by yourself now. So, so you're boy, shadowing him. I'm as, shadowing as, him for okay. several weeks. What was it like to fly solo? Oh, I remember the first time. It's like, because you have all these uh, protocols and things you have to do, you know, for signing in and going through security and all uh-huh. of that. And, and I felt like I was just a scared rabbit in there. But I remember the one time, it was like about the third time I was solo in there. Uh, we had taught on... Jesus seeing the, the crowds in, in Mark's gospel like sheep without a shepherd. So you're teaching in a Bible study? B- Bible study. Sure, in the little, medical wing. In the medical wing. Okay. There may be about 15 or, uh, or so wow. guys in that, in that day room. Mm-hmm. And they participate voluntarily. Voluntarily. Sure. So I'm teaching on that. And it was a great Bible study. It was just like, wow, this is what a – talk about what the payback is. The payback is you see in the faces and hearts of people – a hunger for the word, mm-hmm. which wow. is just like, what a privilege to be a part of this. Yeah, um, but still very new in it. And so I was taking the elevator down to go and clear out because I was heading back to Moody to do radio programs. Yeah, you would take a break in the middle of your day yeah, to go do the chaplaincy yes. program. And Moody was so kind to let me be able to go and do that break to mm-hmm. go and do that. Um, so I'm in the elevator. The elevator opens up on the first level, and it is like a uh, ER drama in front of me. There's a guy in a gurney. There's officers. There's medical staff. There's security. I mean, it was just like it was the the hallway was just packed. I didn't even know if I could walk out the elevator. But I said, "Well, I'm, they start moving so that I could start walking through this mass of something was going mm-hmm. on." So it was very off putting, and so I'm already off my game, not knowing what to do. And as I'm walking then through the lobby, so I can sign out, so I can start going through security to to head out. There's two detainees in the middle of the lobby. They're handcuffed, and they start calling out to me. And they start saying, are you a father? Are you a chaplain? Are you a pastor? Every, everything they asked was something that I'm not. Yeah. I'm just Joe. Yeah. I'm a radio guy. Right. You know, are you a chaplain? Are you a father? Are you a pastor? Can you pray for us? Can you pray for us? Wow. You know, and... and I don't know if I can pray for them. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to. I don't know. I mean, there's all this wow. stuff going on. I don't know what, what I'm allowed to do, but they're calling out. What well, can you, you just don't sign out and walk out. It's uh-huh. like, so I go up to these guys, no one's stopping me. So I don't know their names. I don't know their situation. Yeah. Um, but I start praying for them based on what we taught. Oh, Lord, be a good shepherd for this person. Mm-hmm. Guide these people. I don't know where they're going to. I don't even know their names, but just... Put your hand on them, guide them in the next step they're going into. If they're in a medical wing, they've probably got some kind of medical deal. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going on? Mm -hmm. I don't know their names. I don't know what happened to them. I I would never recognize them if I saw them. Mm -hmm. But I know the spot. I know what happened there. We prayed. I started going through the security out. You have to go through these doors, and then you're out. By the time I got out of the building, I realized it was just this voice inside, which says, I'm not a radio guy anymore. Mm. And those those words, are you a pastor? Are you a chaplain? Are you a father? Are you Wow. Just, so God is asking you that at the same time those guys were. I mean, I was just like, what do I do? Do I go back to Moody? Yes, I go back to Moody. This is my job. This is what this yeah. is part of my identity, right? Yeah. yeah. But it felt I'm being called to something extremely different. Mm. And that wow. created a whole trajectory that my involvement working at the jail was not just a hobby, it's not just a sidecar deal. Yeah. It was going to become something that was far more intentional and, and um, life-changing. So how long have you been there now? I've been there about four and a half years. Okay. 
Um, Let's explain that the call, it took a while for you to fully implement yes. everything, yes. but you eventually took early retirement from yeah, Moody uh, so that you could do this. Yes. Um, the, the, the strange combination of still being able to work on radio projects mm-hmm. with other ministries, with this program, mm-hmm. uh, this is part of the, I think, the kindness of God to be able to create the opportunity to um, still use my skill set. Mm-hmm. But all of it has been following this calling. What do I do with this? I'm not just a radio guy anymore. Yeah, but God doesn't waste anything. All the years that you've been listening to radio shows, you've been soaking up. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Don Cole, people like yeah. that teaching. And yeah. and, uh, and Mike Card. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, <laughs> hopefully that so didn't you mess you refer- up too much. <laughs> well, when I, when I teach, I refer to you as my Bible scholar buddy. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because I work on these shows, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell the guy, I mean, if I'm teaching something, and and lo and behold, I'll be working on a program, and you'll be teaching on something that I'm going to be teaching on soon. So, uh, okay. So, it's there is a hand glove to almost so I, I all did, the things. I did your homework for you. You did your homework. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, sir. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but as we're, you know, uh, what we've been allowed to do then on on at the inside at Cook County Jails, where I served with Chicagoland Prison Outreach, and we'll put the website on yeah. our program notes. Yes, um, they they brought me on staff to be one of their staff chaplains. Wow! And so I I'm all over the Cook County, depending on where I need to be in a particular day. Mm-hmm. Uh, do a lot of teaching, uh, a lot of one on ones. Um, one thing you learn if you're working on the street, you're not looking to go after the manys, you go after the ones. Mm. And like when you see in, in Luke 15, uh, Jesus goes after the lost sheep, he goes after the lost coin, he goes after a lost son, mm. the ones. Mm. And so whether I was working on the street or even, frankly, if I'm working on the inside, I go after ones. Mm. Let me just pause you, Joe, because when you're a, a professional baseball player, you start at the minor league level, mm-hmm. and you work your way up. Mm-hmm. You started at the majors. You went to Cook County Jail wow. as your starting place. Well, but like what Mike was saying, it's like 30 years of hearing Don Cole and and uh, Joe Stoll and David Platt and mm. how many other programs and ministries hanging out with Bob Bakke on prayer events and yeah. Doc Feuder and, you know, um, we've we've been around ministry but it just seems like the kindness of God that at this point in my life, I, I don't get to be observer of it. Yeah, I get to be a participant. He doesn't waste it. anything. That's what impress you know impresses me. All those years, you're soaking it in, and that there was a purpose for that, a bigger yeah. purpose. Yeah, than just making radio shows. You're, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I when I go in, every time I walk in to Cook County, there's there's three prayers that I pray. I go. It's almost like not a a, a ritual, but it it helps r- remind me of of what I'm doing and, and the seriousness of what I do. Mm. So that the three prayers I'm praying as I'm walking toward the security clear, clearance is, um, Heavenly Father, I'm going where I'm not supposed to be, mm. but I'm headed where I'm called to go. Mm. This, is, this is your idea. Mm-hmm. I'm a radio guy and I'm going with this. I'm is not, not supposed to be here. I'm not yeah, supposed that, to be that, here. That, that <laughs> phrase rings a bell yeah. with me somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So so Michael, it's a that. Michael Card song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I'm not I'm not supposed to be here, but so you're going to have to send the holy angels to protect me where I'm going. You're going to have to open the doors for me. You're going to have to shine the light of your glory on me mm. as I go in here, because I'm just a I'm just a bald middle aged guy. Mm. The second thing I pray, um, similar to what I prayed for those guys in that in that medical wing, Lord, uh, you need to be my shepherd. Mm. You need to shepherd me to the very ones I need to see, to the very ones. Not to the many's, to the ones. Because mm-hmm. the Cook County's got thousands of people in it. Every, all the units I go to, there's full of people. Mm-hmm. Who are the ones I need to see? Mm-hmm. And then the third thing I pray for, Holy Spirit, in the hour I need it, you got to tell me what to say. Mm. Um, shockingly, the Lord answers those prayers. Well, didn't he promise he would do that? Yes. You'll when be you stand just... before kings, rulers, right. and authorities, you'll be told what to say. Yeah. In the hour you need, not before or after, hour. Joe, help us understand, what is the interaction like? I mean, without naming names, of course, yeah. which you can't, but yeah. talk about the interaction with the men. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a, an illustration of something that happened that shows Jesus guiding to a spot and the Spirit telling you what to say. Um, I, was in a, I was in a unit that I had my, my rounds figured out. I was going to be in this unit 
that had about 50 guys in and then another unit that had about 50 guys and then I was going to go to a third one. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get into any one of those units. I walk up to the door, you can't come in today. Come over to this one. Oh, we got this coming. You can't, we got, hmm. no, you and I said, well, there was just one left. I hadn't been in that unit in forever. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't even know if I know anybody in that unit. Hmm. I'll go into that unit. Uh. So to rap on the door, the officer opens the door and I go, chap Joe, do you, can I just pop in and sit in the day room and see who, sure, you can come on in. Mm. And um, there's just one man sitting at the table. And, and as I start heading to the table, a couple guys recognize me from some other units. Uh. And they go, oh, chap Joe's here. Okay, well, you want to do Bible study? Sure, I'll do some Bible study. So mm. I just sit down at the table. I said, I'll wait for you guys to come. So I sit down at the table, and this guy is on the other side of the table. And I said, you know, I, I hope you know that we're going to do some Bible study here, if that's all right with you. And he goes, okay. I said, all right. Well, what's your name? He tells me his name. Okay, well, we're going to just open the Word. If you're uncomfortable, I just want you to know this is what we're going to do. No, I'll sit here. And the guys come and sit down. And there's a young man that I knew from another unit. And it's almost like we followed up on another conversation. He asked this question about forgiveness. Remember last time we were together over at this other unit, you were talking about this. Now, what about forgiveness and what about my forgiveness of this person? So we had this long conversation with this guy and there was several other guys around about how to forgive your enemies, Mm. how to find forgiveness from God, how to drain the hate and anger on your inside so that Christ can fill you with something different. Mm. And so near the end of the conversation, I turned to this young man that's sitting across from me and he goes, and I, I just asked him, so uh, was this more than you bargained for? Mm-hmm. What did you think? And he goes, my heart is so full of hate. That's all I have. I want something different. Wow. And I said, pal, I don't even know who you are, yeah. but when I walked in here, I prayed, Jesus, guide me to the ones that I need to see. Mm. And here you are. And maybe Jesus needs to find you. Wow. That's just one story. That's just one story. Yeah, it's... That's just one story. Do you journal these? Do you keep track of these? Uh, I need to be. I keep keep notes. I just keep it in my head. Don't keep it in your head. Write it down somewhere. Yeah. Because someday your grandchildren or whatever, you know, are going to want to hear your stories. But, But that finding the ones, it's kind of strange. You go after the ones and the next thing you know, you find the many's. Yeah. But I don't care about the many as I care about the ones. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus cares about. Absolutely. It's a great lesson for us. Absolutely. Yeah. That's our very own producer, yeah. Joe Carlson. Yeah. A little glimpse into how and, the Lord works. When if you're a listener and you're wondering why why these shows are put together so elegantly in terms of the the theme of this song and then this discussion and this guest. Yeah, that's Joe's design. It's Joe doing that. That's yeah, that's not me or Wayne. So it's good to hear your voice on, on this side of the glass. We thank God for you, friend. Yeah. Well, I, I'm honored to be called a friend. Uh, what happens in this room and on this, this side of the glass uh, gets amplified through the things I get to do. So, so you have been uh, a part of something that you didn't know. Yeah. Amen. Uh, this producer guy named Joe picked out a song to end our segment with. Do you, any idea what he wanted us to hear? Uh, the song is Freedom. Mm. And uh, when we recorded the song, I remember we were at the Moody Bible Institute recording this in the studio there. And uh, it just gripped my heart. I said, this is exactly the ministry that I do. Yeah. In the jail. In the jail. Freedom is a important idea. I am lost. And I am bound. And I am captive to the shame that keeps on holding me down and all I need to be found is freedom I am tired and I am dying and I am trapped inside a cage I've of hopelessly trying but the door would open and I'd be flying if I could find freedom 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 all the burdens we have borne all the losses that we mourn 
joined us this hour. It's our prayer that the Bible passages we study, the conversations that we feature, and the music we present will be used by God to encourage you to follow Christ faithfully. If God has stirred in your heart, we hope you'll take a moment to let us know, share your reactions to our podcast on Facebook, or use the contact section on our website, michaelcard.com. If you need to listen to this program again or have missed a recent program, just look for past sessions online. It's easy to access the podcast when you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or on Spotify. Also online, you'll find more details about today's guests and Michael's ministry. Go to michaelcard.com where you'll find Michael's weekly blog posts, learn about his conference ministry. It's all at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll join us next week as we open our session archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the Mole End Studio. For all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition in the studio with Michael Card.